It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Brighton Rock Podcast, the podcast about the beautiful club within the beautiful game. With me, Russell Guyver, my co-host, Peter Marsh, and we have a welcome return to regular guest contributor, Mr. Alan Dodd. Hello, everyone. How are you all? Good, thanks. Yeah, glad it's Friday. Yeah. Excellent. I don't know why I said, oh, there's only two more of you, which is actually how are you both, but never mind. Um, (laughs) (laughs) We won't restart this. We'll carry on. Um, Yeah, we've got um, on this episode a review of the uh, Everton game. Uh, We've also got a preview of the game coming up at the weekend against Arsenal when we bounce back in fine style, of course, to get three valuable points on our way to Europa League. That's what I'm thinking anyway. And uh, and we've got any other. What have you been taking? (laughs) <laughs> happy pills definitely that's for sure um i am not having a drink but only just one as well it's a uh slight blend ipa winding path brewery yeah interesting uh peter what have you got a cup of tea a cup of tea yeah uh, for those who aren't obviously looking at Ralph straight at Ralph now he's just be picked up a keg that's weighted only one <laughs> <laughs> yes that's right yes a, a mega keg yeah uh yes well let's get straight into it shall we so uh, Monday night after the euphoria of our bounce back from the the FA Cup and the Forest Games, we had the thrashing of Wolves, we had the beating of Man United in revenge, uh, which was on the Thursday. And of course, we then had to wait till Monday to play our official weekend fixture, which was at home to Everton, which of course was one of the easy games at home, wasn't it? That's what people were thinking. I wasn't, I was worried about it. And we were saying off air, Peter, you're saying the same as well. We, um, Alan, you may have been the same as well. Nervous about it because I thought this is just the kind it's of short game. Life team. They're, they're never easy. Yeah, Sean Dyche, and it's a team struggling at the bottom, and we've struggled against those teams this season. We've uh, we've had some some good results, obviously. Um, we've been um, Southampton, uh, etc. But we've we, yeah, we've struggled against um, Everton. We've struggled against Forest in both games. We've um, we've struggled. Yeah, against- I, I record the first half of the season against the bottom five. The first time we played them, I think we won all but Forest, and we drew that. But yeah, since then we've drawn two and lost two, which yeah. and yeah, really not. And against, well, three of them, we took the lead. Monday, obviously, we didn't, but... Hmm. 
Yeah, we certainly didn't, and they certainly did. And it took 33 seconds, not 34 that the commentator kept saying, 33 seconds to concede the lead. Um, we'll go through the goals one by one in a minute. But, Alan, this was a disaster that was potentially going to happen, and it did. It uh, wasn't great, was it? I, I was lucky enough to miss the game because <laughs> um, I had a pre-arranged um, event before they rescheduled from Sunday to Monday. Uh, but you and Peter were both at the game, I believe. So, Alan, what was your take on that? Yeah, well, I was... Ne- never let it be said that uh, I'm only here when 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 on the glory glory wins that I'm on the pod, you know, talking about the good times. So I thought maybe I'll make an appearance on the bad times just to just to chew this over. I mean, I've, I must admit I've done a bit of an unprofessional thing really because since uh, since the final whistle on Monday, I've stuck my head in the sand. <laughs> I haven't really. I you know usually I'm watching if we if we have a good win, I'm watching all the highlights, uh, analysing the game, watching all the interviews over and over again on YouTube but this one I just haven't watched anything so basically I've gone through the whole week of pain acceptance and then and the renewal so here we are now ready for the for the game on Sunday yeah um, if I'm honest Russ wanted to do a pod on Tuesday and I just thought I just can't talk about it technically <laughs> exactly yes so uh, that's basically I need a little bit of time to just kind of I mean it, it's not like in fact talk them I wasn't angry it was just or frustrated it was just I just didn't really want to talk about it initially no. No, well, I've, no, I've got this notion of it exorcising the demons as soon as possible was what I was thinking there. But actually, having said that, sitting here talking about it now on the, on the Friday, uh, it's kind of more relaxed. And I've, I've, I was over the over this result, same as the Man United semi final, quite quickly because I'm uh, I just feel that um, we weren't ripped off. It was just uh, a result that was it was what it was, and you know you just go accept it and move on. Um, I think it was summed up by their fifth goal. I think the whole thing because. I mean, you can't tell me that he goes through in the last minute, one on one like that. He'll shoot in that situation. Hmm. You know, I, I think he'd try and like cut back or, and pass or try and do something else. You know, he wouldn't shoot from there probably. But yeah, because of course it was summed up. They everything just went in for them. And actually, yeah. I, the only thing I have seen is a clip of Pickford saves from like Everton's uh, when it, on Twitter um, on Everton. And actually, we were a little unlucky second half to not get a couple of goals, two or three goals, yeah. rather yeah. than the one we did get. Ferguson forced Pickford into two or three really good saves, a couple of which were helped by the woodwork as well when they could have bounced anywhere. You know, whereas every time they attack, they seem to score. It's it was unbelievable. Like, every time they went into our half, barring that one at the end of the first half when they should have gone four and up, arguably, um, they basically just seemed to... I mean, the, the fourth goal came after we'd basically been counting their half for 25 minutes or 30 minutes or whatever it was. <laughs> yeah, 27 minutes. Um, I, was, I was following it in the second half and it, we, we were actually superb. <laughs> In that first half, well, 27 minutes of that second half, we were actually really good. We we dominated the ball. They couldn't get out the half. We created a number of good chances. And that's the period where Pickford, uh, along with the continued good defending in general, where, where Pickford really came into the four and made four brilliant saves, three of them world-class. And when it's a night like that, you just think, OK, we're three yeah. That's happening, but nonetheless, we could have got a couple of goals very quickly and easily there on a, on another night with a goalkeeper less on form, despite everything else they did well, and they did do a lot of stuff well, Everton. And, and, and it is easier. Right also, you've got basically eleven men behind the ball. I mean, yeah, was, it was there's very little room around. Whereas we obviously don't play like that. So, but they, yeah, they they do, especially once they get ahead. And I mean, I found it quite odd that they were time wasting, for example, pretty early on when they were the bar the team in a lot of ways in the first half. But my one yeah. right that was, the game, that was all that was all part of the mix, though. Really, I think that's part yeah. of the, the whole thing. The way they decided how they were going to to, to handle this handle the match, really. 
I mean, even a four-one up with five minutes left, whatever they were time wasting. It's like we're yeah. not going to score three goals now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's just, I, I think I think uh, you know if I if I reflect back um, before the match, going down to the pub beforehand. You know, you're, I was always worried about this. I mean, Deitch has a good record against us when he was at Burnley, and then uh, now at <laughs> Everton. I think he's. Uh, I haven't actually seen the the different scores, but I can. The, the, he's had many draws and many wins at the, the Amex. I think he's been more successful down. So, so we had to take that into consideration. Uh, it was a bit of one three 0 last game. season with Burnley, even though they got yeah. relegated. <clears throat> and, and the players were going to be tired, and then and then when I arrived at the ground and I discovered that we were. Um, we lost the toss, and Pickford decided to <laughs> to uh, to turn things around. So we we're we we're actually attacking the air north stand of the first half. That's usually uh, a bad sign for some reason. And for all the um, all the uh, tacticians at various clubs who I'm sure are tuning into this random podcast to uh, to find out what what to do in future games against us, uh, we'll, we'll whisper it quietly anyway. We aren't very good when we do have to attack that half first, from my memory anyway. Yeah, seems to be doing. Yeah. But I think I think uh, I mean I think I made an observation. Uh, you know that we we have recently. Um, allowed uh, the op- opposition opposition uh, a chance really early on in the game, and we us- and we usually get away with it. But this time we didn't, <laughs> and I think that kind of set the tone really after that. And I think after that it was just a, it was a complete nightmare. It was just uh, yeah. Just but I thought for twenty minutes we were okay that half. We we didn't create loads, but we dominated again. We yeah. were a much better team, and then they broke again and got their second. And that's where I think Deserby should have made the change. He left mm. us so open that he, that he then cost us the third goal and actually also could have cost us a fourth as well. They almost scored right at the end of the half. Yeah. But with, yeah Undav and Welbeck wasn't working together. They needed no. one of them to be taken off. Probably Welbeck, to be honest. I thought Undav actually offered more than him. He, Welbeck had a really poor game, as he did against Man U as well, I thought, to be honest. Um, mm. We looked better yeah. when Undav came on up front. And so I'd have taken Welbeck on and put Gilmore on, off, taken Welbeck off, put Gilmore on after the second goal. And then we might have got in at 2-0 down. And then suddenly, you know, if you get an early goal, you know, it's a different thing at 2-0 compared to 3-0. Yeah. Well, yeah. They, they, they didn't really press us, really. So basically, we were, we were camped out at the, on the halfway line, even our defenders. And then they were catching us on the break. And I think those players were just a little bit fatigued. I think, mm. I think, uh, I think the, uh, the second goal, McAllister, didn't track back with Decorey. He just seemed to just leave him. And you could just First see... The whole... Mittimer gave it away really poorly. Yeah. And then, then, and really then, casual uh, flick yeah. and then Dunk kind of committed himself. Yeah, with Calvert-Lewin, wasn't it, I think? Was it Calvert-Lewin? Yeah, uh, it yeah, was. Yeah, and... Uh, just just an overview of this as well. Just quoting the stats, I mean, there was an even number of fouls committed. We had 15 corners to their one, and obviously that doesn't give us any benefit from corners, as we all know. But that's Especially just against one, a team like them. That, that sums up the sort of dominance. What also sums up the, the dominance, of course, is that we had 78% possession. I think it was 80-something in the second half. Um, and we had 23 shots to their 10 but by far and away, the most telling stat here is five shots on target each, and we lost 5-1. Um, that tells you it's not going to be a day, doesn't it? And I know they, they were clinical. They were. I thought Everton were excellent. The game plan, the performance of each individual, the collective performance as well, how they work with each other, 
how well they defended and really blocked out that central space and forced us wide. And we didn't do well enough when we forced wide um, and how quickly, clinically and effectively they took us on the break. And actually, the only issue, I think, if you're putting any criticism on Everton is they could and probably should, as you said, fourth. They actually had two good chances on the break uh, in that first half that we could have been five nil down. Um, yeah. It was that bad. But that was they were excellent. They, they engineered a brilliant policy, a brilliant plan for the game. They executed that plan superbly. Sean Dyche, I really rate. I don't like his football, but I really rate him as a manager. Uh, he's got a bit of a hex over us. As you said, the Burnley game was disproportionately good for them, 3-0 in that match previous uh, season uh, when he was manager. But we've, we've always got a problem with him. He always manages to do well against us and teams like us. But I think he excelled himself here. And, and what I was saying was, this is just the perfect storm. A little bit like the Forest game was as well. A combination of us being a little bit fatigued, coming at the wrong time in the season. Daesh has been working to try and put in a performance like that for a number of weeks. And it was the coming together of all those component parts at an irritatingly convenient moment for them. Uh, players coming into form, Calvert-Lewin coming back into the team and looking sharp with it. Pickford having a world-class performance. I mean, he was absolutely superb. I think he actually probably edges it over O'Neill, uh, sorry, McNeil, who, who was also superb in this game, not just for his attacking, but for his defensive cover and the hard work he put in. I mm. think they were absolutely superb in this game. I don't like the way they play, but you have to hand it to them. They, everything went their way, yes. Every shot goes in. Yeah, that's not going to happen. Yeah, um, Decore doesn't happen. score that second goal and McNeil yeah. that fifth goal, for example. Yeah, you know, most times, if I'm honest, yeah. they what, don't. Yeah, I mean, what, what killed us was, I think, obviously the early goal and setting exactly what well, the losing the toss, conceding that early goal, things starting off on a bad foot was exactly what they would have feasted on as as a, an away team looking to grab a result, and what we would have most feared knowing who we're playing and how they're going to set up against us, to then be behind so quickly. And as you said, Peter, we we did okay after that, but then when that second goal went in, that, that was the, the um, yeah. where, where you knew the game wasn't going to go away. Uh, what killed us was actually the third goal. Um, Steele uh, is at fault there, isn't he? I, I don't want to kind of, you know, it's not scapegoatry here, but he, you know, there's an attack going on. He's done it before. He's preempted a cross, gone slightly too far to the left. And then has left himself open for a, a mistake. And all that happened was there was a speculative cross shot that was really, I think, aimed as a, as a cross more than a shot, which went in off. He had his foot bowed down at an angle to try and block it. And all he did was just sent it into the perfect position in the mm. back of the net for them. Uh, and McNeil uh, again, I think, wasn't it, on that occasion with the uh, cross shot. And and obviously three down at half, by half time. That was, that was game over. But com- commendations to Everton. I don't have an issue with any team that sets out a game plan and executes it brilliantly, you know, fair play to them. When I say game plan, I'm not talking about time-wasting cheats like uh, Fulham and Villa were this season, by the yeah. way. Um, I'm talking you about can't two... really complain and say the team was too defensive when they scored five goals. It's, like, no. it's no, not but... a difficult argument, isn't it? Well, yeah. <laughs> it's, thing, it's, a count, it's counter-attacking football. It actually yeah, is exactly. Counter- Which is what a lot of teams do up, play. But they at least did try and get out in the first half. Second half, they sat back properly, but then... I mean, yeah, second half we were unlucky because obviously but having had so many chances and hit the woodwork a number of times and then Solly's hamstring goes running back after their player and where he probably would have got back to him if he'd been fully fit. Do I, I question whether 3-0 down you bring on a player you're worried about injury-wise? Because he said he wasn't in the greatest situation mm. at the point. Yeah. yeah. I mean, this is the thing that um, 
was was interesting as well because yeah i mean that that was again it was just the the perfect storm theory fits in there as well because solly um his only mistake he was one of a number of players that came on at half time we made four subs i was thinking we need at least two probably three he ends up putting four on at half time fair play to him because it was needed and he's he's got the big balls and all that stuff boom let's do it well i disagree that, there i think if he had the big balls he'd have done it on 30 minutes he'd well, done something yeah, at least yeah i, I mean he'd have yeah, brought on at least Gilmore for one of the strikers that was that was when it was needed and that you could argue at half time it was too late already yeah, well, yeah, 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 that's a good point. But having made those four subs at half-time, who did make a difference from there on in? And we really deserve to win the second half, at least. Um, one of those was Solly, and his only mistake in the game was giving the ball away with a, a short pass when we were on the attack, which led to that counter-attack. And, and it's a combination of that one mistake happening to then be followed by him trying to track back. He would have slowed down the attack, and I don't think they would have scored, or much less likely. But he pulls his hammy and leaves that guy open. Our defence is then stretched because they've got an extra player to deal with. And and he's able to walk it into the net eventually. Good composure from him. But essentially, bad luck from us, actually, because uh, it's... It, yeah, the hammy. As you said, there might be a there might be a bit of a risk involved. I don't know. But it's still unlucky that it goes at that exact moment, really, isn't it? Yeah. Um, but there, I, there we go. Sorry. I thought it's funny, thought it's funny that um, it, was, it wasn't... It wasn't a similar similar goal in terms of his creation, but uh, if you remember when um, Rose scored the the fourth goal against Everton at Goodison, when uh, it was a bad back pass, and then <laughs> basically Gross just had was free to to just basically almost like walk the ball down and he, he chipped the keeper, and it was almost a bit like that with McNeil. He <laughs> once he kind of got through, he was just basically just walked the ball and he chipped in the back of the net. It was almost like. The same feeling for the Everton fans, yeah. or I thought the home fans that we, the, probably the Everton fans had. Yeah. Goodison. I mean, it's a strange what? symmetry to it, isn't there? It's almost yeah, an adult, a thra- an away thrashing, uh, yeah. well, which is very bizarre. Yeah. Um, but there we go. Um, but I was, I was, I mean, I was, one thing I was, uh, I was surprised when I saw the team sheet that Mitterman was starting because I really felt he was knackered. Yeah. He looked really tired after the Manchester United game, and I, I, I was surprised that he was actually playing. Well, I guess it, I, I think he must have been. They, they knew they were going to set up uh, deep and central, uh, so they wanted the width. But then again, you know, Nciso is pretty effective there as well, and he's very quick and direct with what he does. So I'd be just as happy if, to have had him there as Mitima. So I agree with you. I was a bit disappointed to see him starting that from the point of view of him needing rest. rest I wasn't so worried about Nciso having suddenly, you know, come into the team in the last month and starting quite a few games, they were worried about him burning out a little bit. Yeah, yeah. but yeah. I mean, maybe maybe they needed to give him a bit of time on the bench anyway for, for that reason. Who knows? There could have been burnout risks. Uh, they've, they're monitoring, obviously, the uh, uh, the fatigue levels and everything else. But they were, what, by the way, we started with stealing goal. We had Grosh, Webster, Duncan, Estupinian at the back, Casado and McAllister midfield. Then Wenonote on the right, Undav with Welbeck further advanced in the attacking areas and Mitama on the left. When Onote was one that came under some criticism uh, and Dunk as well, we'll talk about it goal by goal, shall we, um, in a moment. But when Onote, I think people were saying, you know, he's, he's young, he's raw, maybe needs to beef up a bit, but he has got a lot of potential and a lot of skill. There's one really good bit of skill, actually, in the first half, I think I saw, where he did a good old jinking little cut in and nothing came of it in the end. But, um, yeah, he, he looked a bit isolated. That's what people yeah, were saying. Yeah, no, no one. Well, I, I actually disagree. I thought he had a... He had a lot the other way around. Well, I suppose I say is the right word, but he was also isolated from any of the play, their players as well. So he actually had a lot of space. 
but just mm. the, but no one would pass to him. It was a very odd, I was literally right in front of me in the first half he was playing. And it was a very odd way, you know, he was standing in space and every time we go up to Midsommar or try and go in the centre and we wouldn't get, we wouldn't go up to the right, despite the fact that we had loads of space, you know. So it's, it's a very, it seemed an odd decision to me because, you know, if you're going to play Bonanotte, give him the ball if he's going to, if he's in, yeah, he has the room. I think, I think he's not quite ready for first team, but obviously if we weren't, if we hadn't got a few injuries, he wouldn't be featuring quite so much. But on the other hand, if you look at where Ntiso was against Villa and now Ntiso is, you, know, you look at the summer, people are saying, well, I should have got, should go out and loan that sort of thing. I don't, I don't think that's true. I think if they can work with him the way they worked with Ntiso during the World Cup and since then, then they can, they can make him into a really good player in the short term. Yeah, I think if we if we didn't have any kind of lingering injury injury worries about Solly and if we're playing once a week and everything, we might. But I think we would have started Solly in this game, personally, I think. But uh, who knows? Um, but yeah, I, I like him. I think he's a good player, Buenarte. But he, um, yeah, he, the, the link, I don't know what's going on, whether it's something to do with him training. He's not quite clicking with the squad, not quite bonding as much, whether it's someone said, um, right, I think it might have been Andy, not, I can't remember. Somebody said that um, uh, right-footed players tend to play balls Further, either central or towards the left rather than to the right. Um, maybe we have more right-footed players in the team. That could be a reason. I don't know. I'm not sure. But one way or the other, yeah, it, was, it wasn't quite working. I don't have any issues with him. To be honest with you, there was a lot of dissent about Undav after the game. I don't have an issue with Undav. He's part of our squad. He's the backup. He's not the first choice, but he's part of the rotation that we were having to use here. Um, Ferguson wasn't fit to play a full game, I don't think, or we didn't want to risk him for a full game. Um, we did make the four subs at half time, by the way, which was Colwell for Webster, which was interesting. Um, March came on for um, Buenanote, of course, as, as we already talked about. And CISO came on for Undav and Ferguson came on for Welbeck. And I felt all four of those, well, Colwell to a certain degree, but the others, the attacking uh, players all made an impact. I thought they all looked good. They made us look better. Ferguson just looked so good. Well, that's the big positive for me. Was Ferguson came back from another injury, small one as it had turned out. We worried how he'll be. He looked sharp as ever, and uh, we'll talk about various incidents in a minute. But that one way Shimmy made space and had the shot tipped onto the bar was world class. And on another day, that's a brilliant goal. Gets us back to three one and. We maybe step on and put some pressure on. Uh, wasn't to be, but he 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 looked fine. He looked good. Um, March obviously came off with the hammy and ended up getting subbed himself for Gilmore on seventy eight minutes. Uh, that was the other substitution later in the game. But um, I thought NC so uh, looked lively again as well. So I thought I thought he looked very good. I mean, he's uh, he seems to be ball controlled and his uh, quick feet and creating space for himself uh, in tight areas. He's really good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, I think he's he's still a work in progress, but I, I think he's looking pretty classy actually. Um, I'm quite optimistic about him. But yeah. Webster is out for Arsenal, so that might explain why that he was taken off. Yeah, I wonder if it was that or whether it's in training since, but it might well have been uh, during the game. Yeah, yeah. Um, just to go through the goals then. I mean, first of all, uh, to Corey. Do we have to? Well, just very quickly, very quickly. So it started badly, uh, as, to quote Blackadder, it started badly, tailed off in the middle, and the least said about the end, the better. Uh, pretty much sums it up. But um, to Corey in the first minute, 33 seconds in, we had kickoff, by the way, as well. It's not like they had the kickoff here. Um, and um, they, they, they gained possession, played the ball forwards. Dunk made a mistake. He anticipated a ball down the channel and made too much of a body movement towards that and had left a little bit too much exposure space between him and his teammate. 
where Calvert-Lewin was um, residing and a really nice touch from Calvert-Lewin opened up that space, exploited that positional error from Dunk. Dunk's then on the turn and, of course, body shape's all wrong. You're on the back foot, you're screwed, basically. And then it was down to whether they could uh, avoid making a mistake, a clinical pass and finish was all they needed, and they got it. Decore scores the first of two goals. Um, the three, second touch, one, three or three three players of theirs touched the ball before they scored. Yeah, uh, which just summed up the way it was, efficiency-wise, yeah. Um, obviously, an infuriating way to start the game. Uh, but you've got to, I mean, we gave the ball away beforehand, but you've got to blame Dunk, haven't you, really, there on that one? He's I not think you blame both often, Dunk but... and Mitzema, both of them. I mean, it's a casual touch from Mitzema to give it away in the first place. And is... then, yeah, Dunk preempts the, the, the pass. Again, is this the, is this a sign of a guy who's feeling a bit fatigued? You know, you, you, you kind of, you'll telegraph your passes when you're mentally tired a bit more. Um, I don't know. I don't think it, it was the first minute. I don't necessarily. First minute of the game, yeah. And it, no. and it was really casual. It was like, he just had to control it and kind of carry it forward. And yeah, I mean, it, yeah, he said it kind of summed up the game really, didn't it? Yeah. But, but, that's, they, uh, but, that, but that does happen quite often. We give away these, these chances. I mean, I, I think, uh, it's really surprising that Everton were able to, Finished so well because they haven't been doing that all season, really. So, uh, yeah, sub Flores against us. <laughs> yeah, aren't they the lowest scorers away from home or something? I can't remember what the stats are. They, Maybe they're, not they're, anymore. No, well, they were. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're not anymore. That's for sure. Hundred uh, percent. Anyway, that you, was that. You probably overtake quite a few teams at the bottom of that list by scoring five <laughs> away from home in one game. Yeah. Um, when we played Wolves, there was a, a strange symmetry with the scoring. We had Undav scored, then we had two braces by the players, and Undav again. There was another strange symmetry in this, because DeCorey scored the first two, Steele then got his own goal, and then McNeil scored two. So there's a, a symmetry of a different type in this game. DeCorey's second, 29 minutes. Uh, who wants if only Steele had scored our goal, it'd be even better. <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> uh, DeCorey's second, who wants to talk about that one? I mean, it was... One of those where I don't think he's particularly a prolific player, and yet he came, turned into like prime Van Basten in that that goal. I know he had a lot of room, but he absolutely hammered that volley. It's a bit like that bloody goal that Ben Teke scored in the last minute against us against. I was Wallet, thinking the same. Thinking the same yeah, thing. It was, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it, yeah, it was. We were just we just left ourselves really open as we'd done all you know we, as we were every time they attacked in the first half, especially. And oh, yeah, it was a, it was a nice cross, and Decore had so much time, but. You think he'd take it down and take a shot, or whatever, rather, or, or, you know, and he just absolutely leathered the volley. It was a brilliant finish. But yeah, to have the confidence to do that when you're not the top scorers in the league, you know, one of the best, biggest scorers in the league, and you're not a player who scores that many was, was impressive. Yeah. You just, like, you know, yeah. Most of the time, you'd think he'd probably control it and try and take a shot from there. Yeah, I mean, he's a good player. He's gone, I think, gone off the boil or gone under the radar a bit in the last year or two because of how Everton have been since they signed him. They've not been great. But yeah, I mean, this game, he looked like a world beater again. Classic, isn't it? As you said, further forward than he might normally be more often. But we did have gaping gaps the whole way through yeah. this game, more than normal. It's not, I know we play... <laughs> not a, just gaps, gaping gaps. <laughs> gaping gaps, yes. <laughs> oh, these gaps were were gapacious and they were massive. Um, anyway... Yeah, yeah, I think uh, Decorey made that run and McAllister kind of left him, really, and didn't track back with him. I wouldn't necessarily... Well, obviously, he was was free at that point, but McAllister almost kind of stopped and just watched it unfold in front of him. (laughs) So, uh, yeah. yeah. Not great. And the third goal um, came just six minutes later. 
own goal from Steele. We've described it a little bit already. McNeil um, got, got into space on the left side, um, put the cross shot in, um, and I felt Steele's position was wrong there. I mean, you, am I being harsh? Uh, I can't honestly say it was up the other end of me, and I've not watched the goal since then. Oh, so okay. all, all, yeah. The first time you had gone in was when the Everton fans started celebrating. Yeah, from from my, from my memory, the uh, it was actually quite a good move by Everton, uh, a good break actually, which actually yeah. fell, actually broke down because it was just, it was just a poor pass. I'm not sure who, who made the poor pass. It didn't, yeah, the, the final pass, if you like, made it to McNeil in the. In, in, I think it was passed or crossed too far over, so McNeil had to chase it and pick it back on the byline. So uh, you know, if, if it was, if it had been a better pass, and probably would have. Did a better goal from them actually because it was quite a good break. But as it was, uh, yeah, he put that cross across and uh, still just yeah passed it's... into passed it into the net. <laughs> <laughs> Glanced it in, yeah, with his uh, yep. the outside of his right uh, right foot, but uh, right um, leg. But um, yeah, it was frustrating, and you could just feel everything was just going wrong. I was watching this back as live, by the way, because I couldn't make it down to the uh, to the game because I'd already pre-booked something else before they rescheduled, and so I got back from that event, then watched it as live. The the wife did make some some oh dear, I'm not sure you want to see this kind of. <laughs> Comments, which I didn't know was sh- whether she was shit housing me because she does this. She, she could be doing um, reverse psychology. I thought, well, this is probably going to be the, what I was fearing was happening. But let's watch it anyway, and then she's going, oh, gets worse. I thought, oh god. And, and by then, I was I was hooked. I thought, I've got to see all this now because I'm going to be talking about it for the pod. So I might as well analyze it in a bit more detail and see how it goes. But it, it wasn't great. Um, first half, it, it, just everything went in, didn't it? And that was that. Second half, we mentioned the subs four at half time. We started 27 minutes of really good play. Um, Solly was getting in and amongst it. He, his link up was going really well on that side. Uh, and CISO, as you said, Alan, had a really good game. He was cutting in, doing stuff, creating some urgency, some direct attacking play, uh, some good link ups as well, which I think helped. And Ferguson was looking at danger. I think Ferguson was certainly a, a missing ingredient in the first half of this game, uh, um, by necessity, perhaps. He was certainly uh, what we missed in that Forest game. And I think he was uh, what we missed in certain other matches. And of course, I know it's a different manager in charge then, but when we played Everton earlier in the season, Ferguson was amongst those that made a telling difference in that match as well. Um, so, yeah, we, we looked a lot better. We were created, we, even though they're very tight in defence, and even though we've been putting a lot of crosses in, diagonal crosses from midway to most way inside their half, um, most of that was getting dealt with, as, as you'd imagine, for a Sean, Sean Dyche team. Um, but we actually started to have a little, little bit more of an aerial threat, and it just felt like there were some more telling crosses going in, as if almost like the people crossing felt more confident with who was in the middle as well. And we were starting to create options and opportunities. And in the end, Pickford had, I can't remember the timeline, but I think he had four brilliant saves in that half. Um, I think at least three of them, possibly all of them, came before McNeil finished the game in the 76th minute. Um which was their only foray into our half for the whole of that half at that stage. Um, one of them was Ferguson, brilliant, picked the ball up, jinked, made some room for himself on the turn with his left foot, a brilliant shot from a fairly tight angle and the slightest but most telling of touches from Pickford to tip it onto the bar. 
the ensuing second phase of attack then led to McAllister putting in what I thought was a brilliant header from a really awkward angle. He got an incredible trajectory on the ball to head it goalwards. Um, it was it, no one was going to cut, touch it. Basically, it was it was it was goal, going to be goal bound. It was going to be in, but it wasn't quite goal bound. It hit the bar, so we hit the bar twice in what thirty seconds or so, um, and then also um, Pickford made a couple of other low saves down to his left, which were just brilliant. One of them in particular, the reaction save was superb. Ferguson again, the man deprived on one of those occasions, at least. I can't remember who the other one was. They might all have been Ferguson, actually. I think they might all have been Ferguson. Yeah. There was one yeah. like mishit shot where he, where he scooped it away. Yes. And Ferguson hit yeah. it properly. And then there was yeah. one header as well, which I think both were Ferguson. Yeah. The mishit yeah. one is the one I, I wouldn't call world-class, but it was still a very good save. To be honest, I thought the one that he tipped onto the bar probably, he should have, he'd be disappointed not to save because it was at a tightish angle. And it was, he, I think it, I think it was a decent height for him, even though it was hit quite well. But yeah, the one, the two down, the one down, the header down that is near post was really good. Yeah. And we also had Solly cut in a number of times. He got his range to strike with a shot towards the top, um, top corner of the goal, headed away by Yeri Mina, who is another player who just come back into the team, yet had a very good game, match sharp straight away, hit the ground running. Uh, is it not surprising in a way that he chose probably their tallest player to play against us? Not, not at all. No. Knowing what our teams are like. <laughs> We never yeah. play well against teams like play managed by Deitch. Yeah, and I've got to I've got to say, although I had to miss this game, it was uh, preordained. Um, I might engineer a scenario to miss next season's game against them because I I think Deitch will stay there. Um, I think he'll probably stay there if they went down actually as well. Um, but certainly if they're in the prem with him, that's a game to avoid. I think. <laughs> Absolutely. So anyway, yeah, we dominated the game. Couldn't get any of the goals. A little bit of mixture of bad luck, a mixture of good. One frustration, just the flag. So mm. we were talking about all the shots that we did take. I thought there was opportunities where we should have shot outside the area more, given how mm. packed the area was with, when we were crossing it in there, and given how many legs bodies there were. There's always a good chance of deflection of a the ball bouncing to one of your players off one of theirs or something. And yeah, we I think it was one or two pot shots from outside the area, but there weren't many. And we had some space quite a few times, but we just played it out wide instead. I mean, we weren't looking like getting anything from crosses a lot of the time, so why not try something different? Yeah, yeah, fair point, hundred um, percent. And and so it came to pass. So we, we said, Solly, one loose pass, a little bit too short. So they went on the counter, seventy sixth minute, down the left hand flank. Solly pulls his hammy. That creates space for them to exploit. Uh, McNeil goes in and is able to then go around the goalkeeper and do that cocky thing of celebrating before the ball hits the uh, back of the net as he rolls it in. Uh, the easiest goal in the end that you could possibly score. And um, and that's that sets uh, that kind of just sums up the whole of the match, doesn't it? 76 minutes. 20 minutes later, six minutes into stoppage time, he gets another goal, uh, which I think is performance-deserved, and a brilliant finish. Um, he, he just absolutely rocketed into the uh, the near side of uh, Steele, and I don't think Steele could do much about it. It was, as you said earlier, Peter, the sort of shot that you probably wouldn't try if you needed to score. You'd probably try and get further in and create another danger. But he hit it from fair range, and... Um, it was a cracking goal. Uh, good to see him celebrate right in front of the Amex crowd. That's always <laughs> irritating, isn't it? Um, but and of course, so there was a viral um, social media thing, wasn't there, to do with a, an Albion fan who did that sort of like gesture. Yeah, you know, he was doing the um, hold the hold the arm while 
sticking your finger up gesture followed by a double wanker sign thing uh, which went viral and got about 1.5 million views on social media um as you do <laughs> the, yeah. the celebrity culture of the modern day eh? don't um, i knew that, no, that was what it would take i'm trying to give it up on the other ways i'm trying to get like viral. <laughs> <laughs> but you're forgetting the fact we did actually score Oh yeah, sorry. Yeah, I forgot about that. It kind of it, it felt like we didn't do anything right in that game in terms of success. Yes, of course. Um, the McNeil goal was uh, the McNeil goals. Sorry, were um, sandwiching in our goal, which came actually only three minutes after they went four nil up, uh, which was McAllister who scored. Um, Seventy nine minutes. His I think it's his twelfth goal of the season, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's like tenth in, in the league as well. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, so he's really racking them up. I know he, he takes the pens as well, but nonetheless, that's pretty good for a midfielder, isn't it? Um, it's almost like he's some kind of world beater type. Yeah. Anyway, uh, he's uh, he scored in seventy nine minutes. Alan, did you enjoy that one? <laughs> if you can enjoy, I'm not. I'm not quite sure what happened really, but I don't think I don't. I'm not sure what what happened. I don't think even McAllister knew what happened really. From what I can see, because it's uh, it seemed to have bounced off his head or something. Uh, yeah, off a rebound, not... I think, from a Matoma shot. I think. Did it hit the crossbar or did it come off a defender or something? And then it kind of landed on uh, McAllister's head and bounced in, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's just reminded me, actually, where Pickford's, one of his saves, he tipped onto the post, didn't he? That was one of the Ferguson attacks. I've just remembered that. But, yeah, in terms of the, Ferg- uh, the McAllister goal, yeah, there was a whole load of chaos going on at the far post, wasn't there, um, as the TV camera angles look. Um, and, yeah, t- I'm, I'm not quite sure. I can't really remember what happened. I was I was so um, at a loss by that point. <laughs> I didn't <laughs> care, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. It's... Okay, do you know what? That, that, that'll do, won't it, really? Are there any other observations on the game? Uh, don't really want to talk about that. Yeah, yeah I mean, I'm, I'm just wondering, uh, you know, I'm trying to, you know, I know it's all about excuse. Sometimes it sounds like excuses and things like that. But I'm just wondering, uh, deserving what not feeling particularly well before the game, whether you know he kind of well didn't prepare the team as well as he normally does, because uh, he's quite a focused and energized kind of guy on the training training field. Maybe he wasn't doing as much of that. Cause I, I did actually notice that the the press conference that they published was actually. A kind of a, a cut and snip uh, part of the post-match interview of the Manchester United game. Oh, really? Yeah. So we're not going to have Graham Potter doing part of the. Part yeah, of the, he did, he did, I don't think he actually did a press conference. Uh, you know, the day mm. before the Everton game, I think they basically used uh, some clips from from the Manchester United game when they kind of talked a bit, a little bit about the Everton game. Uh, so they used that. Because a little bit later on, they they were asking some questions about the United game. It was all, and it was very much in the present tense, so as though it was that night. So he didn't he didn't do a press conference. He was unwell. Maybe he wasn't putting as much energy into it. Maybe I, I don't know. But just the whole thing was just a complete clusterfuck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're gonna yeah. have. I mentioned earlier, perfect storm. You, you are going to have those perfect storm games for uh, for good and bad uh, throughout, maybe not every season, but from time to time anyway. And that was certainly one for, that we had to experience from the uh, the negative side of things. Um, we'll have, maybe have it the other way around at some point, maybe even again this season, who knows? We just have to write it off, draw a line under yeah. it and move on to the next And it's one. interesting, he wasn't critical of the players, but obviously he talked about his mentality issue and saying we're not really ready for for this kind of intensity of this type of the stage of the season. So, uh, you know, obviously he's, he's given a message to them 
a learning experience. Um, you know, and he's kind of he's used this mentality thing both at the post-match interview, and I think he did it in the press conference today as well. He, he, he went back to that as well. He wasn't it didn't seem to be too concerned about air, air quality area performance. Um, sorry, the quality of the players or, or gameplay necessarily. It was just really just the case of you know if they just didn't really turn up for the match in, in, with the right mental. Hmm. Um, yeah. So. Yeah, he he said. <clears throat> He said, we made a mistake in our mentality. We arrived second in every situation, especially in the first half. It was too easy. We made too many mistakes. If we want to achieve our target, we can't make these mistakes. And yeah. I think, I mean, you, you wanted to... There's not a great deal of self-assessment there, though, for me. Just going to say that, yeah. yeah he, he picked the wrong team. I think that's he did, yeah. Pure and simple. Yeah. He left us far too open against a team that we, you know, you know, can count, counter-attack that's solid at the back. It, he picked the wrong team. And yes, if Ferguson had been fully available, it might have been different and we wouldn't have necessarily had to play two strikers. But we shouldn't have played two strikers. And, he's, and if, even if I didn't necessarily blame him for the fact he didn't cha- do he did that immediately because it worked well against Wolves, I do blame him for the fact that after half an hour he didn't take the decision to change it when it obviously wasn't working. And it's his job to then say to Welbeck or Undag if he takes them off after half an hour. It is, it's a tactical. It's not working. It's my fault to not to, you know, to make it clear that it's not down to them. But he made a mistake to me. It wasn't the players who, they, yes, they didn't play well, but the, the fault was in the tactics. And he's, if he doesn't admit that, that's slightly worrying, to be honest. Yeah, it's, a bit, it's unusual because he has, he has acknowledged blame before, hasn't he? He said he's got stuff wrong before. So I was a bit surprised by that. And I was going to make that point as well about how, um, you know, there was a lack of uh, self-blame in that one. Um, yeah, I, I think I agree with your point, Peter, that he should have changed things at 2-0. 100% they should have done, unless there's some reason he couldn't have done. I can't imagine what that would be because he did make changes not not very long afterwards, didn't he? So, um, yeah, it's, it's it's one of those. It's one of those. We, we, we're right, so we draw a line under it. Let's cheer ourselves up before we break for half-time um, with um, a couple of stats from other games that we played recently. Remember, we did do pretty well in the previous two matches. The Man United game, which I still can't stop smiling about, despite the Everton result. Um, McAllister, of course, scored in that game as well, uh, the only goal for us on that occasion, but it made a big difference that time. Um, 98th minute, of course, or it's 99th almost, wasn't it? Um, when he scored his penalty for Brighton, it was, according to Opta Joe on Twitter, the latest penalty scored in a Premier League game. 98 seconds, uh, sorry, 98 minutes and 16 seconds since Bruno Fernandes scored for Manchester United against Brighton in this exact fixture in September 2020, which was even later, 99 minutes and 45 seconds. Of course, the famous after-final whistle game. So uh, he puts down the word revenge at the end of his post. I'm assuming it's a he, it might not be. Um, anyway, but that was, I thought, quite interesting. Alan, yeah? Yeah, I was just, uh, I was, I was just thinking about this the other day, actually, and uh, it was the same scenario at the end of that particular of the match on 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 uh, against United, the most recent one, as the one when when uh, the referee blew the whistle, because it was actually after uh, um, that kind of incident with the handball and the and the kind of melee that was, uh, I think, Casado had a shot. Um, the referee could have because he obviously didn't see the uh, the handball, and it was only the the VAR was said something to him after it kind of they carried on playing but actually the referee could have blown the whistle because it was well over time it was, a, it was uh-huh. past I think five or six minutes so it's, it's, it'd be interesting to know what 
what would have happened if he had blown the whistle and then they uh, said, oh, there's a penalty because yeah. you know, whether they would have done what they did uh, at the Amex a few years ago and, and uh, went back and allowed the penalty or whether they would have said, oh, no, this is... Yeah, well, like, like what we said at the time. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's always it's, it's in the folklore of the Albion that we said, well, you know, we've they, yeah, he blew the whistle at the end of the game, but was, I mean, that, that, it could have backfired us on, on us this time around, actually. Yeah, it would have been a, it would have been even more symmetry, wouldn't it? We're talking about that uh, earlier on. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, the precedent's been set, so. You know, who knows? So, of course, it's a big six factor to take into account, though, as well. I don't think we would have got given the decision if that was the case. But also, I'm curious about, and we've got Seagulls over London have um, a meeting on Tuesday next week, a members meeting, and they've got, uh, we've got um, two refs and a member of Sussex FA, I think, County FA coming to talk. It's going to be quite interesting, uh, I think, this meeting, because I'm talking about various aspects of refereeing, including points of law, I'm sure, and all that sort of thing and, and subjectivity and interpretation and how things have changed and all those matters I'm sure will come up under discussion. But um, things like uh, the adding on of time, I think, will be an interesting subject because it seems to me that a disproportionate amount of time is added on in added on time. <laughs> so the amount of times you get, you get a whole of a half and you have maybe seven minutes added on or something like that. And you end up playing eight and a half minutes and you think, really? Okay. Occasionally there'll be a one and a half minute delay uh, in, in, in stoppage time, but quite often it seems to be more than the actual additional stoppages that gets added on. I don't know if it's my imagination no, or not. Well, actually it happened last night because in the uh, Europa League match between Juventus and uh, Seville, yeah, it was well. It was well into uh, past past the five minute. I think it's five minutes uh, added time or something like that. So it was well past the five minutes, and the referee still allowed Juventus to kind of make that last attack and get a corner, and then allowed the corner to happen from which they scored. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, they do always say it's a minimum of X amount of minutes. Yeah, don't true, they? true, true. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's very difficult to gauge, isn't it, for various reasons. That's been one of them. But, yeah. I, but I couldn't. I couldn't really I, I remember. I couldn't he did really blow recall. his whistle when on on the United game. He kind of, if you look at it, he does actually want to put a whistle to his lips. And I think then Bar gets into his ear and says, yeah. "We're looking at something," and then he kind of stops. It's almost like he, I think he pretty much does have his whistle in his mouth there, and that's why when we, they kicked off, it was basically just one touch, and that was it. Yeah, because I, I think yeah. that was yeah exactly. It was. I mean, very, very close to, as you said, Alan, being ex- an exact replica scenario potentially happening. Maybe the ref was fearing that and didn't want to get involved in that. <laughs> and as soon as he heard it, he thought, yeah, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to leave that then. Uh, yeah, it's an interesting point. And also from the other recent game uh, we had, of course, Wolves before the Banu match. Um, something I meant to mention at the time, which I've just remembered. Um, Wolves had, um, on co-coms for that game because, uh, they had it as game of the day on Sky, and the co-commentary was Jackie Oakley, who's who's a very good commentator. Uh, she is a Wolves fan, <laughs> so we'll talk about bad timing to have to cover a match. Um, to be fair, she was commendably professional, I thought, uh, in adversity. I'd say so fair play to her. I sympathise. It must be horrendous having to commentate. At least we didn't have to commentate on the Everton game, guys. Uh, imagine if that was happening. Uh, yes, and this that, that's why I would never do a watch-along or anything like that online, not only for the face for radio factor, but also for the fact that we could have to experience something as horrendous as the Everton yeah. game. But, anyway, it's, it's that, ama- it's, but it's amazing, uh, you know, uh, 
you know, now we're we're at the top top half of the table. Uh, the amount of me- media attention there is, you know, I think the United game there was actually two film crews. There was one covering the the match uh, from is it, was it was it on Sky? I think it was on Sky uh, from the UK point of view. But then there was also another TV crew there, uh, and Graham, I think um, Glenn Murray and uh, Jules Breach were on the touchline doing some kind of work as well for another TV channel, I assume, for, for the Americans. So it's amazing, you know, what goes on now and how much uh, media attention there is for the club. Yeah. And, in fact, on that matter, again, just referring back to my perfect storm concept, it's almost as if the the level of media coverage and, uh, well, praise being heaped on us, <laughs> it almost felt that was all feeding into this notion of, we're gonna have a we're gonna have a, a sticky one, aren't we? At some point here, yeah. <laughs> we, we've had a couple of great games. Obviously, thrashing Wolves is brilliant. Beating Man United with a last minute goal, especially it being a penalty, was brilliant. You thought we can't have three good ones in a row, and that's why I was so delighted with the United game actually, because I thought yeah. we've got the six points out of two home games in the bag. We I wouldn't say we can afford the slip up, but we. At least we could absorb the slip up if it should happen against Everton, which I feared was going to be the case with it being Dyche, uh, knowing that we got those six points in the bag. And that's why I think I got over the Everton game so quickly. I know we've got a lot of really hard work to do to make sure of a, a European place now because of that result. But the fact that we did get the United game in the bag and we didn't slip up against Wolves has meant that I feel a lot more confident that we're still on course. Quite honestly, I thought we'd drop point. I think we're a point down on where I thought we'd be from the Everton game. I thought we'd draw that match, to be honest. Um, I was imagining a one-all or something like that. But to me, we're more or less still on course for how I imagined it, trajectory-wise. I could see Peter's about to disagree with me on that. Yeah, I, I think I think that's optimistic, given our run-in. I think that if I think tomorrow's big, if Villa beat Tottenham, then we're in a bit of trouble because I can't see us going to Villa on the last game of the season and getting a result if we need one because we just don't do we don't do that. Albion aren't like that. It's like bogey team, yeah. big match, big match. I, I think we'll end up missing out by a point or two if Villa wins tomorrow. I think mm. Villa will lose at Liverpool, um, and I think we'll probably beat Southampton because they're just really poor. And then anything we get from those other three games is a bonus. Which if if Villa beat if Villa don't beat Tottenham we'll be okay for seventh place. If Villa do beat Tottenham, then I think we'll be yeah in a, basically a straight fight for seventh place when we uh, mm. go to the last game of the season. And that yeah that never goes well for us in that sort of situation. I, I'm not including so Aston Villa as well when we uh, managed to screw up in the last minute having played ten men for half an hour. Well, I'm mm. I'm not so sure. I'm not so convinced. I think we we're better against the sort of teams that we have still to play. Yeah, they're massively difficult uh, opponents, but we, we were capable of getting results against those teams. I would say I'm actually more confident that we could get a result of some description on Sunday than I was that we could beat Everton. Um, I, I thought we'd get a draw, but I didn't think we'd beat Everton. Um, I'm actually more confident, and I say that I had the same view before the Everton game as well, that we I was more confident about this Arsenal match. And that's not to say... Arsenal we'll found form a bit recently, though, haven't they? They... They beat Newcastle comprehensively. They beat Chelsea. Yeah, but yeah. Everton could say the same of us when we played Wolves and Man U. Yeah, I, I mean, I, 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 I want to agree with you, Russell, but I'm just worried now if if March is out on that That's, right hand. Obviously, yeah. we, we don't have Veltman. 
on that yeah, right hand side. Right. I think we're a little bit vulnerable. You've got Martinelli on that side, and then, then of course you might have Trossard who's going to make an appearance on that side as well. So down to score. <laughs> it's uh, that, that's what I'm, I'm actually worried about. That I think I think we we're going to turn up for that match, and I think we we could actually have a lot of possession actually. Hmm. Uh, but I've just got a feeling that uh, you know they've got a few players that can hurt us. Uh, We've also got five games in 15 days with a squad that is getting thinner by the game. We'll be down to like about 10 players that are fit soon. So yeah. we don't have the, you know, you want to make substitutions. You want to make changes. You want to make, you know, maybe maybe make a few changes for Newcastle and City as the game's in between two games. But we come, haven't got the ability to do that, really. If, if Webster's out, if Beltman's still out, if March is out for the sound of it, you know, we're going to struggle to make the, we don't have the depth. that they, And this is, goes back to what we were talking about in January, even that we didn't, we needed one or two more kind of experienced players hmm. to bring in. And the club do seem to be rectifying that now. There's a rumour out that we're after Dahoud or whatever from um, Borussia Dortmund. There's, um, there's been one or two other players mentioned, obviously, on top of like Milner, who seems to be an almost certainty. Yep. And Pedro, who was... Found Gardner. Yeah, and the Ajax right back as well. So we are acting early now. But obviously, it might be a bit late for this season and we might just miss out, which would be a shame. It definitely will be late for this season. It's definitely going to be late for this season, that's for sure. Yeah, but as in, like, because we will miss out, as in, I mean... Yeah, no, no, I'm just saying, because you, you do the nitpicking, so I had to, yeah. to jump it as well, Peter. You know, right, it's, right. it's only fair. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, Pedro, who I introduced to the crowd, I'm not sure what his thoughts were. Was it A, that I can't believe I've signed for this, <laughs> this shit? Or B, I'm definitely going to get a place in the first team next season, so I should be fine. <laughs> Yeah, probably a bit of both, I think. And on that note, let's have a quick break. We'll come back to talk um, just a little bit more about the Premier League, what's been going on in the EFL, and a couple of other bits of information and news as well in part two. So that's coming up after this short break. And so to part two. Well, just continuing on the discussion about the Premier League, first of all, uh, for anyone that doesn't know, the fixtures this weekend on the Saturday, we've got, actually I'll check, there's nothing Friday. Yeah, Saturday we've got Leeds against Newcastle, Villa against Spurs that you mentioned, Chelsea against Forest. Uh, Chelsea now safe pretty much, so they're, they're okay there. Palace against Bournemouth, Man United against Wolves, Southampton against Fulham. And then we have on the Sunday, Brantford against West Ham, Everton against Man City and Arsenal against uh, against the Albion, of course. Monday is Leicester v Liverpool. So, yeah, we, we talked about the connotations, what we need from that. Um, we need to bounce back and get a result. I think we can do it on in this particular match. As you said, the issue is going to be about the right-hand side. Uh, the issue is going to be about whether we now need to rely on Grosh to play as a right back and what sort of options that restricts further forward creatively because we really miss him in the centre of the of the pitch, don't we? Webster, uh, by all accounts, is going to be out for this game. Veltman's out and Lamptey obviously is out. So we are going to be missing a right back. It's more than likely that he's going to fill in there. Uh, even if we put Caicedo in instead, you've got the same problem of missing something in the midfield. So that's going to be the big challenge. But I'm, I don't know. I've just got a funny feeling about this game. We'll see. I'm going to put my usual prediction I've had for the last three or four weeks, 2-1 to the Albion. There we go. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I mean, yeah we, we talked about the right-hand side, but I think also, uh, you know, we when we played uh, Arsenal and they beat us 4-2, I thought we actually played quite well. It was, uh, they kind of just took their chances. But also Odegaard seemed to have a bit of a field day because 
Caicedo and McAllister weren't playing, but they're, they're going to be back this time. Exactly. So, I mean, I mean obviously, um, Odegaard seems to find that space. It's a bit like uh, De Bruyne, you know, they always, he always seems to find the space yeah. just outside the box, either to play a, a, you know, a quick ball or to hit the shot. So, um, yeah, hopefully they're, they're closed down on him. So, Hello, uh, player. Salibo's yeah. going to be missing, but apparently he is confirmed as being missing. Well, that's, and uh, Zinchenko yeah. is uncertain at the moment, um, which probably... I heard he was out too as well, or two. Mm. Who's that? Zinchenko, I heard he was out for the season somewhere. Well, they're talking about him being back maybe for probably this game being too soon, but maybe the next game. No, oh, I thought that maybe that's the season. Yeah, that's what I thought <laughs> as well, but anyway... Um, yeah, so there we go. Well, Arsenal are a point behind Man City, but of course they've played a game more, and um, they've only. We all know what that game in hand is for City. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, well, we could we could have a big t- effect on the title race, I suppose. Still, um, if, if we were to lose to Arsenal and beat Man City, that would that would make things interesting. <laughs> um, but I'm not planning on that. Hopefully, that won't happen. Yeah, um, yeah, but there was it's funny actually because this weekend because uh, you know. If if we kind of get the the results going our way, if we we win and uh, you know there's a chance, I mean, there's always a chance that United could lose. Uh, I think they're playing. Are they playing Wolves? Are they? I think. Uh, yeah, home to Wolves. Yeah. Yes, I mean Wolves are still smarting over air thrashing of them. So I think Lopetegui is going to be quite determined. You never know. Um, there's. The, the, I mean, I'm really clutching straws there. Tottenham, Tottenham, uh, if they draw that, then that's that would be quite good. Uh, well, I think the, the other thing Newcastle, is Newcastle, 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 on, <laughs> Newcastle losing against Big Sam, that would be uh, that would be quite nice. And uh, yeah, <laughs> so you're saying Champions League then? Nice. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I don't think so now, but yeah, I, I, I think uh, I, mean, I think I've given up on that one almost. I also don't want Leeds to win as well on principle. Hmm. Yeah, well, um, yes. I'd be happy with a Leeds, Leeds winning, Leeds losing three nil, but with both sides having a number of sendings off. So, yeah, maybe. Yeah, because we're playing them afterwards, aren't we? Yeah. Yeah. I, know. I, I like to. I like. I like Newcastle to drop points. I don't. I'm, I'd like to see Leeds uh, go down, but uh, yeah, they could get yeah. a result and still go down. Couldn't they? That's the thing. Um, yeah. Well, it'd be we, we to get are... a result last game of the season because they got Tottenham home. <laughs> so a draw would be good if they're already Liv- if Liv- they're already down. Liverpool, uh, Leicester, aren't they? I think is it Leicester? Yeah, on Monday yes. night. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Um, so, in terms of the table, I mean, United are in the fourth Champions League spot on sixty-three from thirty-four. The teams we're looking at are Liverpool, point behind that, sixty-two from thirty-five. Spurs, fifty-seven from thirty-five. We're on fifty-five from thirty-three. Villa, fifty-four from thirty-five, and then Brentford are another four points back. Um, from two games more than us. So I think Brentford is probably put to bed now and and there and teams below that. Um but of course that would only guarantee us eighth place if we were to be above Brentford. Um so it's where it comes from. I mean I'm I'm still looking at Spurs here. We've got two games in hand on Spurs with two points behind them. Vastly superior goal difference. Well, not vastly, that's maybe a bit strong, but a comfortably superior goal difference. Um if we were able to pull off a result at Arsenal, particularly if it was a shock win, um, there's a good chance we go above them because Villa might beat Spurs, as we were talking about. If Villa were to beat Spurs in that scenario, Spurs losing wouldn't be so bad, would it? Obviously, if we get a draw against Arsenal, which would be an excellent result, we'd be a point behind Spurs if Spurs lose. We'd still have the two games in hand. It would feel doable given the goal difference as well. So look at it that side. There's, there's still optimism to be had. Yeah. Um, one yeah. way or the other, um, 
it's it's been a fantastic season and we are getting a record points total and almost certainly a record position in the top flights, um, which was, what was it, ninth last season with Potter? Yeah. So I think we're beating ninth, aren't we, really, to be honest? Yeah, I think it's between sixth and eighth for me. I don't think we'll come fifth. Liverpool have got a quite easy run in, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. To be honest, that's that's the one that really annoys me more. Not annoys me, it's probably the one where it frustrates me, is that, you know, the fact that we've outplayed Liverpool and we, we, it was still in their hands after, before, um, before the Everton game that we could overtake them. Yeah. And now it's, now, now we can't. Now it's the other way around. That's, that's really frustrating, mm-hmm. I think, really. I still didn't think we were going to overtake them anyway, though. I mean, that's no. the least of, the annoying thing for me is the fact that, you know, Spurs have basically cheated their way to being two points above us when they should at the very least be a point behind and ab- absolutely actually should be four points behind based on, what happened yeah. in that game? And that's but, the one that irritates me. Liverpool, exactly. I always thought we finished below, even though we beat them. Yeah, we did well against them. If we're four points ahead of Spurs, which we should be, just purely on that one game, four points ahead of Spurs with two games in hand, we're talking a different talk, aren't we? Yeah, yeah and also four points ahead of Villa then as well, because you have three more points. Yeah. So mm-hmm. yeah, they quit. So either a draw would leave them both three points behind us, or a win would leave the one of them one point and one other one four points behind us. Yeah. I mm-hmm. mean. But even if you accept that, you know, who knows what happens? It ended up a draw in that game. We'd still be ahead of both of them. Mm. You know, we we basically that. My worry is that at the end of the season, that Tottenham game where we were cheated, it will come back and haunt us. Particularly and when it's coupled. And it has been my worry since that game as well. Yeah, and particularly when it's coupled with uh, one of our bogey teams, Villa, um, you know, sounding the death knell as well. You know, by getting yeah. some. Well, also that penalty result. that March had against Villa, where we would have a point. Mm. I mean, that was mm. another one where the referee had an awful game. Yeah, because then they're on fifty-two points as well. <laughs> you know, yeah. if we're on if we're on fifty-eight and they're on fifty-two, and we've got two games in hand, it's not even and that ignores possible. the Palace disallowed goal, the Leicester penalty we should have had. Yeah. You know, and all, all the rest of it. Yeah. Well, um, just um, to put on a slightly lighter note, um, <laughs> you mentioned in WhatsApp. Uh, when you were going down to the Everton game, I think it was, you put, posted a picture of a football on a railway track at your local station, I think it was, uh, saying, oh, it's Solly March's penalty ball. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's <laughs> just funny. It, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I was saying, well, is it that one or is it the other penalty from Charlton <laughs> or is it a Joa's penalty from the game of the Amex that time? Um, and I'm, as I said on, on WhatsApp, I'm now visualising a whole planetary system of footballs somewhere in outer space, a whole galaxy of Albion-related detritus, if you will, spherical in shape and orbiting endlessly. Uh, perhaps it's called the penalty way. And when I posted that, somebody said, or the, uh, the Solly system, uh, which I thought was pretty good. Uh, who was that? I can't remember now. Uh, he was, uh, I can't remember. Uh, whoever it was. Was it Richard? It was Richard, yes. Richard yeah. Holbert. Credit to yeah. Richard, yeah, for that. Yeah, the Solly system. Yeah, <laughs> love it. Um, anyway, speaking of um, the WhatsApp group, that was the Lon- the Seagulls Over London WhatsApp group, I think, or the Pod, Pod Squad group. Um, but um, another member of Seagulls Over London, who's been a guest on this podcast this season, is Clive Steed. He's been on a couple of times, actually, and done a little mini match day special semi-hosting kind of thing as well. Uh, he's on FAB, the Fan Advisory Board, and he's asked me to mention uh, that the club we're going to be publicising, which they have now since started doing, uh, for new representatives, because there's been... 
Uh, I won't go into details, but a couple of people ended up leaving pretty soon after they were appointed. Um, there are spaces going free, and I guess it's up for renewal anyway. I'm not sure. But um, the club have tweeted and said, we're looking for five more representatives from across the club's fan base to become a member of our fan advisory board. And then they've invited applications. So I don't know if anyone's uh, interested who's listening to this, but get in touch with them if you are. It'll be interesting to know how this develops over time, because at the moment for me, uh, it is pretty much like a box ticking exercise and a occasional soundboarding exercise. And to some extent, that's fine. But to be honest with you, I, th- I would like to see a lot more uh, reaction to input from fans. I don't think there's a lack of people saying stuff. I don't think there's a lack of that being projected by the FAB to the club. But I don't think the club are really responding an awful lot. I'm, I'm kind of wondering where that is sitting at the moment. but. Uh, Anyway, get your applications in. Try and make a difference, uh, I suppose, is the thing to say there. Any other points on on the Albion before we go on to talk about EFL to finish off? No? Well, let's get down to that then. So since the last uh, conversation, we now know who all the playoff sides are in up and down the land in the EFL, the three divisions. And um, first of all, you've got to commend Coventry City, who I put a bet on when they were 24th in the table, that's bottom, with 10 points from 11 games played and a minus five goal difference. You'll note the um, the goal difference not too bad, considering. Um, that's because they, um, they've they had a number of games played. They, they Basically, they they um, due to a Rugby Sevens event going on just before the season started, all of their home games were postponed. So all they played was a smaller number of matches, all of which were away from home. And they started off disastrously badly. As I mentioned there, they were bottom of the table. They've ended up getting into the playoffs in the last couple of weeks of the season. They secured their place with a draw, just to make sure, in their game at, um, I think it was at Middlesbrough, actually, who were already in the playoffs. Uh, And they're playing in the playoffs. And they're now playing in the playoffs, which is interesting. Sunderland have squeezed in as well late in the day under Mowbray, um, who says he, he can't finish well. He's Apparently they drop off his teams, not this season. Sunderland have got in there as well. And they'll be playing Luton, who many people fancy as the favourites. The more rounded team, that grit and determination and that way of finding a way to win games um who knows who's going to do it i hope it's coventry because i put that bet on uh when they were in the uh the lowly areas of the table um interesting it went down to the wire what was most amusing of course was millwall completely and utterly screwing up they were in the playoffs they were playing at home to blackburn which is a tricky game but they were 3-1 up and they lost 4-3 and that cost them their place you've got to laugh at you when it's uh, when you're a neutral looking on <laughs> I'm um, sure that you'll be welcome on a Millwall podcast some point soon. <laughs> I'm sure, yeah. Well, at least we won't have to uh, do a uh, preview for a Premier League match next season now, that's for sure. Um, and at the other end of the table, Rotherham survived. Congratulations to them. Losing the manager, who's been the key ingredient, I think, for them managing to straddle Championship and League One intermittently. And this time they've stayed up, despite losing Paul Warren very early in the season to Derby, who in turn missed out on the playoffs in League One, even though he's manager there on the last day of the season. But yeah, Rotherham survived, which is great for them. Uh, Blackpool did drop. Uh, for Reading. Yeah, Wigan and Reading. Uh, problems at those other two clubs. Wigan, failure to pay on time a number of times this season. They're in a bit of a mess again. I don't know what's going on there, but it's... Shambles. They seem to go through stages of of overspending and then and then uh, realising they don't have the money and not be able to pay wages. And it's 
you wonder what what exactly. what logic they have at that club. You know, they they had that problem a couple of years ago, and then having secured new ownership or new investment, they then threw money at it, paying like you know ten grand for players and a week for players and that sort of thing, and then they're struggling again. And it's like, well, surely anyone who looks should look at history and. <laughs> I'm just looking. Alan's holding something up. I can't see what it says. Go on, you have to tell us, Alan. My well, bloody dog's barking like crazy, so I'm on mute. <laughs> oh, right. Okay. <laughs> but now you know. <laughs> oh, well, regards to Millie. Uh, I'm sh- let her bark away. Anyway, yeah, so. Yeah, she's so, not happy about Wigan either, she's like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, well, that, that reminds me, because they, they get talked about a lot on the Price of Football podcast with, of course, Kieran Maguire, who's now been a fan, but also has a dog called Finley, and he he regularly interrupts that podcast. So uh, <laughs> there's, there's some kind of appropriateness to that, I suppose. But anyway, yeah, I mean, we're gonna, it's a total mess, isn't it? And Reading, who, again, have just been managed badly, they've ended up with a points deduction. What was it? Six points, wasn't it? Yeah. Which very directly uh, cost them their place because they yeah, ended up relegated them, yeah. Five points adrift of Cardiff in 21st. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, disappointing for those sides. Um, you know, we've, we've had rivalries with Reading and Cardiff in the past, divisional rivalries, so we can slightly smile there. Um, but Wigan, you've got to despair. Well, not at Cardiff. Can't smile at Cardiff because they, they didn't go down. No, but they still struggled, so, you know. <laughs> Just the, mis- the the general abject misery of the season. Yeah. No, um, but, yeah, so that's that. In League One, Plymouth confirmed the title. Well, fantastic job. Again, they lost a manager there um, who's, who's moved on. And yet Stephen Schumacher has come in, uh, taken over from Ryan Lowe again very early in the season, I think it Not was. this season. I've forgotten that was that. It was this season. Yeah, I think it was at the beginning of the season, yeah. Was it? Wow. And they've ended up winning the title with 101 points. Ipswich finished second with 98. And that's only by dropping two points on the final day. Otherwise, they would have had three figures. And again, massive missed out. Missed out, massive missed out, Sheffield Wednesday. A massive blow for them. With 96 points, which would have got them the title last season. I love oh, what it. a shame. <laughs> yes, I've got, I've, got, I've got a friend of mine called Paul, who's a lovely guy. So I, I feel sorry for him, but I don't feel sorry for virtually every other Sheffield Wednesday supporter. So that's brilliant. They go into the... One of the most entitled fan bases in, I've ever met. Absolutely, 100%. And they play Peterborough, who... One away from home, while Derby lost to Sheffield Wednesday, 1-0, with a questionable penalty, actually. Um, and um, Peterborough squeezed ahead of them, and Peterborough will play Sheffield Wednesday. Um, and Bolton, who finished sixth, will play Barnsley, who finished... Sorry, fifth, sixth, Bolton, uh, finished, yeah. who played Barnsley, who finished fourth. I fancy... This is a bit of a left-field one. The obvious thing to say would be Sheffield Wednesday here, or possibly Barnsley, who I think are one of those teams that go under the radar and actually quite tough in close games. But I've got a funny feeling Bolton are going to go up. I don't know why. I've just not really paid much attention to them. They've been there all season, and they... I don't know. It just It's going to be one of those things where I'm going to think... So oh, basically, you're going to go for Bolton for promotion because you've not really noticed them all season. Exactly, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Coming from the Graham Sooness school of punditry, uh, that, Russ. <laughs> Yeah, and not not that I am um, I, I revel in the misery of others, uh, but rivals down the coast, Portsmouth missed out again. They're another season in League One, seven points adrift in the end, despite winning their last game. Um, At least they get to enjoy Southampton probably going down though. <laughs> yes, that's true. Yeah, yeah, but they will miss out on a derby with them, I suppose. Is the uh, the flip side of that? Your boys, your new newish local boys, Charlton finished tenth. Solid yeah. season in the end, not too bad. Better than it might have been at one point, but obviously, yeah. I mean, Charlton should be pushing yeah. at the top of the end of that table, and they never, they never, they got tenth by having a quite decent last six, seven games. They've 
they were down at one point when they when they sacked their previous manager. They were down in like eighteenth, seventeenth sort of thing and really struggling. Yeah. They just obviously had a really good league cup promise. Yeah. Absolutely. In, in between Portsmouth and Charlton and Wickham, who lost, of course, they lost a manager mid-season, uh, Gareth Ainsworth, who went to QPR and steered them to survival eventually with a couple of late win wins in the season there. But Wickham, I wonder, they, were, they ended up eight points adrift to the playoffs, but I wonder if that was the telling difference, them losing Ainsworth, because he's been, a, again, mm. like Rotherham, they've been an up-and-down team and they're, they're functioning against all the odds with a really low budget, um, you know, the, the, one of the lowest wages in the division. That sounds familiar from somewhere. Uh, but anyway, yeah, so um, a bit of a shame for Wickham. Um, one, one notable one, uh, a notable without noting it, you wouldn't notice it, is Shrewsbury. They finished 12th in the table. That sounds pretty unremarkable. But apparently that's their highest finish for 34 years. I'm oh. surprised. I thought they must have finished somewhere near the, the top of League One at one point, but apparently not. Uh, so there we go. Um, and at the foot, Oxford were struggling for quite a while. They eventually got clear. And their um, sort of famous university uh, equivalents, Cambridge, um, were against all odds able to survive. They needed to win and they needed Milton Keynes, Dons and Morecambe to lose, I think, or in one case, draw. I think Morecambe's case, they could draw to get ahead of them. And they uh, did draw. Uh, yeah, sorry, Morecambe. Yeah, they needed Morecambe to lose or draw. I mean, they, they could both draw. They just couldn't win. That was fine. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, maybe. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, so Cambridge survived against all odds. Milton Keynes, um, they failed to win eight games in a row. At they had about 20-odd shots against Burton away, who were yeah. safe anyway. Yeah. I mean, they did pretty well, considering they had an awful start to the season. Burton, they were about as bad as Coventry at the start of the season. Again, and very low survived quite, uh, survived quite comfortably in the end. Yeah, yeah. yeah, when you look at like teams like Yeovil have done and dropped down, Burton actually staying at League One is pretty impressive permanently yeah, yeah, for yeah. a long term. Yeah, really. But, yeah, they, they went to Bur- they went to Burton, Milton Keynes. So they had about twenty five shots or something like that, including <laughs> one off the line in the last minute and went down, which is always entertaining because uh, although I don't have any Albion gripe against Milton Keynes, I just have a football gripe against them. And any time they fail is a is a good yeah good news for football in my view. Here, here, one hundred percent agree. Their presence under the well, the 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 um the the way that they are a presence in League One is is not how it should be. They um shouldn't be there. Um, I will constantly feel the same as you, Peter, on that matter. And yeah, I, all the time they have misery. I, I have nothing against anyone in particular who's a local who's just embraced the local team, but they shouldn't be there. They should be building up from scratch. There was a team in Milton Keynes originally. That is the team, if anybody, who should come up and try and work their way up through the leagues. What was also good, by the way, they failed to win eight the last eight games. One of those games, I'm sure, must have been a defeat. I'm sure they didn't draw all of those eight games. In fact, I know they didn't. But if they'd drawn one more of the games that they'd lost, that would have been enough still to go up on goal difference. Or stay up, sorry, on goal difference. So, anyway, it's Milton Keynes, Dons. And they weren't far off force method promotion last season. So, yeah, it's a real fourth and race. They finished third in the table, <laughs> which is quite funny. Um Morecambe, that's their first um, relegation ever in their history. Um, they've been in the um, non-league. It's not surprising. I mean, they were they were massively punching above their weight, both their man Accrington. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously we saw them both this season in the same weekend. So yeah, that's obviously right. It wasn't and, good luck for them. But it's good to see Jensen. We had a good season. I went to Forest Green Rovers for the League Cup game as well, and they finished 17 points adrift at the bottom. Which if only you gone to Milton Keynes one weekend, you'd have taken a full set. <laughs> yeah, the relegation 
quartet. Yeah, that would be interesting. Uh, yeah, I mean, they had a terrible season. They lost their promotion winning manager, Rob Edwards, to Watford um, just after they got promoted, which was a gutter for them, and that really damaged them. I think they would have struggled anyway, but that made things harder. Yeah. What's great about um, the playoffs, Luton being in there, I'm not a fan of Luton. I find them quite objectionable supporters on the whole. But what is funny is that Rob Edwards uh, was sacked by Watford. So they chewed him up and spat him out. Luton took him after Nathan Jones was grabbed by Southampton and they've gone into the playoffs at Watford's expense amongst amongst others with the very same manager that Watford spat out, which I think is bloody hilarious. And this is this after Watford said he was they were looking for a long term manager and uh yes, the, yeah. you know, the, the impact and they've now well, got, Chelsea now got will, another yeah. new manager. Valerin Ishmael is the uh, latest person to try and uh, stay stay in the stay inside despite the yeah. revolving door policy. And there was a brilliant graphic, wasn't there? Someone put on WhatsApp, which showed the the list of four different clubs with their the the, the number of managers in, um, and what sort of period differences that involved. And I think um, the Watford one, uh, the last twenty managers, um, the period that stretched back to in comparison with, I think it was was it Arsenal or Huddersfield? I don't know, Arsenal. Herbert Chapman was in their recent twenty, um, whereas Watford's went back to I don't know somebody about seven years ago or something ridiculous. Uh, well, I mean, if you go back, they've had Ishmael, Wilder, Billich and Edwards this season. Hodgson, Ranieri, Munoz and, uh, and Munoz the season before. Ivic start and, yeah, started the year before. And then, like, yeah, Pearson, Hayden, Mullins. I mean, you're going back, uh, yeah, not very far. They've just been unlucky, Peter. You know, that's all it is. I mean, Chris Wilder, what's he ever done? Oh, success everywhere he's been, yeah. And yeah, he didn't manage it with Watford in the five seconds he had. It's absolutely... Uh, in fairness, he didn't do that well at Middlesbrough. But still, yeah, I mean, it's like, what's the point of kind of... I think the, the amazing thing is it actually did work so well for so long. I think mm. it was like, you know, the two or three managers a year, which they've been doing for 10 years or so, actually worked for quite a long time, which Annoyingly, is yes. quite surprising. It's yeah. only recently that really they failed, you know, miserably. And, the, you know, they went down last season and then this season they've, they've missed out of the playoffs comfortably. Yeah. Well, League League Two, Lane Orient won the title. They ended up six points on top. <laughs> Second in the table were Stevenage. Again, another really good job done by a perennial um, achiever, uh, stick insect Steve Evans, uh, who's done a fantastic job there. And Northampton finished third. <laughs> Alan, contain yourself, sir. Um, Northampton. He's, he's annoyingly effective, Steve Evans, even he if he is, is a bit of an arsehole. Yeah, yeah. He, he's, he's everyone's favourite manager, isn't he? The, the style of football, the, the gruff manner. Is, I is look forward to him against Joey Barton next year in League One. That could be entertaining. <laughs> That's going to be interesting. Well, congratulations to Northampton. I think they deserve it based on what Yeah, definitely. Speaking of um, Joey Barton's Bristol Rovers, Bristol Rovers last season, if anyone can't remember, they had something like a seven or eight goal swing on goal difference uh, to overtake Northampton and finish third. Northampton missed out and then, of course, lost the playoffs inevitably. Um, but they've come up. It was potentially going to happen again this season. But in the end, Stockport could only manage a draw. And uh, Northampton did get the win and things worked out happily for them. So they finished. Yeah, it's they were already down, weren't they? And just basically played a reserve goalkeeper who's about 12 or something and yeah, lost 7 0. And yeah, Northampton won 3 1. But they must have been quite amused this year when they went up and Scunthorpe yeah. went down again. Down again, yeah. yeah. Poetic justice of a sort. Just, all they needed was Bristol Rovers to go down and it'd been perfect there. Um, playoffs then it's Stockport, fourth against Salford City, seventh, and Carlisle. 
versus Bradford in the other game. Mansfield missed out. That went down to one goal away from uh, a change there between um, Salford and Mansfield because Salford didn't win their home game. They, they struggled. Did they? In fact, they lost the home game, didn't they? Um, and Mansfield won away it, from uh, home. Drew, you, no, they did lose to Chillingham, did they? Or yeah, did they, 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 yeah, they lost. Yeah, yeah. Um, and Mansfield won, but they, they finished... Um, one goal behind on goal difference. Yeah, so they got effectively about the ninety seventh minute, which put them only a yeah, literally yeah. A, a one goal away from it. Yeah, and finally from the EFL, Rochdale after a very long run, uh, mainly in the division they're in now, they had the audacity to go up into League One at one point for the first time in decades and decades. And of course, what's happened in the long term, it's upset the apple cart because now they've come back down. They've ended up going down again. They're going to go into the National League Prem. They were relegated bottom of the table, five points adrift and, well, eight points adrift to safety. Um, and finishing with them in a relegation position was Hardypool United, who had dropped down before and come back, what, a couple of years ago? And they've dropped back out, mm-hmm. despite a good effort from John Askey in the later stages as the newer manager over those those last uh, couple of months that does mean Crawley survived though they're the nearest team to danger uh three points clear but with um a slightly better goal difference so Crawley survived with the Bitcoin boys um Scott Lindsay how right close there. Salford and Mansfield what really was they both mm. obviously ended up from 75 points um Salford scored 72 Mansfield scored 72 Salford Ooh. conceded 54 and Mansfield conceded 55 Whoa, <laughs> that really is close, isn't it? So if yeah. Salford had lost 2-1 and Mansfield had won 3-0, they'd actually have finished completely level. Yeah. Okay, well, here's my tips. I think I think Coventry are going to win. I'm not just kind of hoping they win because of the bet, but I've got a feeling Coventry are going to go up. And if if they did through the playoffs, that would be a magnificent story because of what they've been through. They've still got Sisu as their part owners, but they, they've managed to have some degree of success. They've already had one promotion during that era. Um, they might get another one. They're back at the Rico now. Mike Ashley bought the grounds just when the new owner was buying the club to throw a spanner in the works, but appara- and apparently chucked in a higher rent fee. They were allowed to stay for the rest of the season. Apparently now, according to Price of Football, they are now on a five-year new contract at that stadium. So there's a degree of stability. And what would be lovely for them, for all the fans that are genuinely long-suffering, I think we can say, um, it would be nice to see them get in the Premier League for a, at least a season. That would be nice. Um, I think they might do it, you know, because no one's really thinking about Coventry. I reckon it could be Coventry. If it's not Coventry, it'll be Luton. I'm going to go with Coventry. I'm going to go with, um, uh, who was I saying, Bolton for League One, and I'm going to go with Stockport for League Two. Uh, predictions, Peter, on that? I think Middlesbrough will win League uh, Championship. I don't really want them to, but I think they will. I think I think Peterborough might do League One. Often, often there's a team who comes in quite late on, yeah. and they've got a good history of with playoffs as well. They've got quite they've, they've won it a few times, so I think yeah. they might do it. League Two, I, I Bradford are the big obvious ones in there. I'd say yeah, go for Bradford. You say it's like Mark Hughes' experience might be crucial there. Yeah, they'll have a very big crowd for the home semi as yeah, well. Yeah, and they've got the top scorer in the whole of the playoffs as well, in the whole of the um, League Two. Yeah, OK. All good, yeah. And um, the other thing to mention, non-league, um, if we haven't mentioned it already, congratulations to Whitehawk, who got promoted back into the Ismian Prem, uh, and that was about a week or two ago, um, via the playoffs. Um, they had the home advantage for the final, I believe. Uh, and friend of the show, Warren, uh, I think, was going to that game. Um, they're a good bunch, really good fans, and they deserve that. So good congratulations to them. Worthy, on the other hand, I went down to the semi-final 
um, sorry, the, the quarterfinal eliminator, as they call it, at Woodside Road, where they beat Braintree 2-1 with a stunning winner. It was an own goal by the goalkeeper that trickled over the line. Nonetheless, it was a, it was a winner. They then went to Oxford City for the semi-final, went along, and um, unfortunately they lost 2-0. There's a guy called McEachran who plays as an attacker for them, and he he's something else. He's He's far too good. He's the kind of player that you'd imagine would be in the Ebbs Fleet team. Very, very good player. No arguments on the day. They were the better sides. Shame for Worthing. Um, disappointment to end the, the league season with. But to be honest with you, it was a bonus getting in the playoffs for them. And they will have benefited from the experience. It's another positive season. It's their record highest finish, fourth place within the four teams in the playoffs. They were sec- uh, they were th- sorry, the six teams in the playoffs. They were third amongst them. So that was good. Fourth place in the table. And they'll go again. And Adam Hinchelwood's doing a brilliant job. So congratulations to them on the season. And congratulations to them last night, Thursday, where they won the Sussex Senior Cup. They didn't have to play Brighton this time, which helped. Um, Brighton beaten by uh, well, under-21s, beaten by Bogner. So Worthing played arch-rivals Bogner Regis Town in the final at the Amex, and they won. It was, uh, I think it was um, on penalties, 8-7 in the end, after a stalemate during the game. And also Worthing's women won 11-1 as they steamroller towards promotion. Might as well throw that one into the mix while we're there as well. Um, and speaking of women, the, the, the Brighton women's team got a vital win, didn't they? Um, 1-0 against uh, West Ham, I think it was. And Reading heavily beaten. It's looking good now uh, under Melissa Phillips, who came in as our latest manager. Um, obviously, Hope Powell uh, left. Things didn't work out with the with the replacement. And so Melissa Phillips came in for the last, what is it, three or four games. And she seems to have made some minor improvements in a good way. And I think there's there's positive upward thoughts for next season. Uh, they've got a couple of good uh, results there. And, and they're now looking safe, not mathematically yet, but things are looking good with just a couple of games to go, which is great. Any any other business, folks? Have you finished laughing about the stick insect comments um, yet, Alan? And has the dog I've, finished barking? Uh it's it's less it's more intermittent now, so it's not too bad. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I could just visualise Steve Evans and the stick insect. It just was, uh, yeah. I was thinking more of the stick insect. I was thinking of that uh, what's that um, cartoon Disney cartoon uh, Bug Life, I think, with the the fat uh, caterpillar Heinrich or something. That's more more Steve Steve Evans, but uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh god. Well there we go. Okay, so it's on it's on to Sunday, Arsenal match. I might be meeting up with you for a rare treat, Peter, pre match. We don't normally do that, do we? So uh, and Alan, I'll see you as well. Um yep, looking forward any, to this. Any predictions? Yeah. I'm I'm going for a firm two one away win to the Albion. Utterly ridiculous, I'm, I know. I'm going three one Arsenal. Three one Arsenal and Alan. I'm gonna go with the Sky Sports uh um, bet guy. Is it Jones? He, Jones knows he he reckons a three two to the Albion. Yeah. Sounds yeah, I'm, I'm happy with that. Blimey, that love a cool, isn't it? Yeah, it's got to be that, or we're going to get stuffed. One of the two. <laughs> oh, who knows which? We're going to have a good day out anyway, one way or the yeah, other. Yeah, we're going to have a good sure. day out. Yeah, and it is one of those games where you know, if we lose, we'll think, well, you know, it was Arsenal away, t- pushing for the title. And although it's odds against them now, they're they're still very much in the chase at the moment. Uh, with three games to go, uh, four for City. So, yeah, well, let's see how it goes. What, what's the worst that can happen? Well, we could get thrashed 10-0, I suppose. Oh, God, we've got to, we, listen, we've got to be so happy with the season where it's going. I mean, yeah. yeah. Crikey, six, well, five games to go, and it's still, we, it's still mathematically possible for us to finish third. I know it's not going to happen, but to be yeah. with five games to go and still be 
looking that far at the table is it's, it's incredible. Yeah. And that's with the third game to go of the season weekend. I know that's not yeah. for us, but in general, yeah. you know, just right, we're in mid-May and we, we could feasibly be in the Champions League. That's utterly amazing. But who would have said that at the beginning of the season? Yeah. Um, I think we were all hoping for a top half finish again, but the fact that we are odds on now for eighth uh, minimum is, is brilliant, isn't it? And let's, let's see if we can pull off a result. Eh? If we can win on Sunday, that would be phenomenal. And that would just wrap up this season for me just nicely, I think, because... Wow. You can't do more than that. We need to avoid them doing the double over us as well. There's that too. Yeah. Okay, guys. Thank you for joining me. Cheers. And we shall sign out in the usual fashion, of course, as always. Uh, would you both like to join in? As I say, stand or fall. Up the, up Albion. the Albion. Lovely echo. Sports Social Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty. And luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.